Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. I'm going to read from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Our Savior is alive. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so joyful this morning because we serve a risen Savior and we can praise the risen Savior. And we thank you so much for this freedom that we have in you because your son not only died on that cross, but he rose from the dead and sits with you in heaven. We ask for you to bless us as we continue to worship you through our word this morning. And we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let's have a few announcements this morning. First off, in front of you, in the pews, there are these long cards, connection cards. At Woodland Church, we want to get connected with each and every one of you. 
want you to know what's going on here, and we want to know what's going on in your life. We want to know about you so that we can engage with you. So if you, if you want a prayer request from the pastor, there's room to write that kind of stuff on the back and just fill out everything in there that you want. We very much appreciate it. Also, it is beautiful out. I'm sure it's not going to snow any more this year. And so therefore, we are going to have an, our annual church cleanup on April 24th at 9 a.m. here. So we'll get stuff cleaned up on the outside. We're going to do some cleaning inside the church. Um, we're going to have donuts and coffee for everyone comes out. And all that we need people to bring, some rakes, some shovels, people. So if everyone remembers to bring those things, we'd love to have all of you come out. And finally, this is really exciting, there's an Easter egg hunt for the kids after the church service today. But there's a little encouragement here. We want the bigger kids to make this fun for the little ones, okay? That's kind of the goal. We want the little ones to have a whole lot of fun looking for Easter eggs. And finally, we, at this time, we're not passing the plates for offering, but there are two ways that you can give. We have the offering boxes in the back at each door that you can put your offering into, or you can give online going to woodlandmqt.org, and there's a place to give right there. But we will be praying for offering at the end of the service. You also can drop your connection cards into that box, and we will get them right away. That's all the announcements I have. Uh, the kids can be dismissed. If Excellent. Thank you, Garrett. We are excited that everyone came out on this wonderful Easter morning. We hope that uh, just this weather, I'm just amazed at this weather. I'm sorry, guys. I've been, you guys all know it's 60 out today or something like that. I hope you guys do get to get outside. I do love Easter morning. Back in college, when I was part of His House Campus Ministry, every Easter morning, we would have a sunrise service. And we would meet at the guy's house at about 7 o'clock, somewhere in there, 7, 7.30. And we would walk from the guy's house down to the lake. And it was one of those, you know, intimate moments. It was, uh, I don't even know how to fully explain it there, but it was something that I had always loved to do. So this morning, I decided to get up early. I thought about sending out a, out a text message to all of you guys. You know, you guys would love to get that right away. But uh, I went down there this morning, and there is something amazing watching the sun rise on Easter morning. On resurrection morning, we are watching the sun rise. And I just, uh, maybe next year, I will uh, send out a text and maybe invite you guys. I know many of you love getting up early, so maybe we can figure out something there. Who, who would be interested? Let me just get a show of hands real quick. Okay, we got enough people. We'll I will start bombarding your phone very early then, like five, you know, just like reminders every, you know, every hour. But uh, no, I am excited for us to be celebrating today. Last Sunday, we looked at our king's final entrance into Jerusalem. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday. Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and as he came in, the people shouted out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And then if you were here for Good Friday, on Friday evening, we spent time reading the entire account of what happened to our King, 
how our king came and how he died. And we mourned together on Friday night, but we also remembered what Christ has done for us. We took time taking communion. We remembered his body that was beaten and his blood that was poured out. I really enjoyed Friday evening, but as we mourned on Friday, today is a day that we no longer mourn. Today really is a day of celebration. I find it interesting within the Christian faith, up until, you could almost argue, the early 1900s, Easter Sunday, today, Resurrection Sunday, was the holiday within the Christian faith. Like, it was the biggest celebration. And now within our culture and within America, you know, all of our focus is kind of on the Christmas season, and we spend a month, you know, from the day after Thanksgiving until Christmas decorating and all of that. And, and I'm, not, I'm not harping on Christmas here, but I do want to remind us that as a believer in Christ, today is the biggest day. Our Savior came and he conquered the grave. Well, this morning, I want us to look at what, not what took place that morning. Garrett did a wonderful job reading that account. But the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, we have an account of what took place that evening. And I want us as a church to be looking at a few verses at what took place on Resurrection Day at that evening. And if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 20. And we're going to look at 19 through 23. And I'm going to ask for you to stand one more time this morning as we read 19 through 23. So this is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. It says this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Verse 22, when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray before we dive into these scriptures. Father, we do, we give you praise this morning, Lord. We thank you that you came and you conquered the grave, Lord, and you have brought us life and life in you today. Father, as we look at this account, Father, come and minister to us now by your Holy Spirit. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. I want us to look at what is happening here. Like what I said, this is resurrection day, but this is resurrection evening. So the disciples had ran to the tomb, and then they had left, and Mary had seen the risen Lord, and she went and she announced to them. And in verse 19, it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, which would be the resurrection morning, it says, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. 
Now, John gives us a really important detail here that's very significant. He says, the doors being locked. Now, you might be wondering, like I was wondering, why would they lock the doors? Okay, like just like picture this morning. John and Peter had ran to the tomb. Jesus wasn't there. Mary sees the risen Lord. Mary comes and announces to them, I have seen the risen Lord. But when evening comes, the disciples are in hiding. Ultimately, they are, they are in a house and they have locked the doors. And it says, for the fear of the Jews. But why would they be afraid? They have no purpose. Their king that they had followed for the last three years was risen. They had heard the account from Mary. They have no need to be fearful. However, it does give us that one important detail because of the fear of the Jews. Now, this empty tomb, I don't know if you guys realize this, but this empty tomb caused a major problem in this area. Like, it's, it's not just like kind of like a big deal. This was a major deal for this time. For Jesus to not be there proposed a problem to the Jewish people and to the Roman people. This wasn't just like, oh, you know, maybe this caused a little bit of like an uproar. This was a serious situation here. Having an empty tomb was exactly what the Jews did not want. We actually see this account. If you look at Matthew 27, verses 62 through 66, the religious people took precautions because they had heard Jesus' words. And it says this, The next day after this, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. So now they're before the Roman leadership. And they said, Sir, we remembered how this imposter said, while he was alive, after three days, I will rise. I find that to be very interesting, that, that the religious people at this time, they remembered some of Jesus' words. And they're like, oh, we better go to Pilate. We better make sure that none of this takes place. Verse 64, it says, Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Like I said, the religious leaders knew of Jesus' words. They knew that Wait a minute, I remember this guy. We call him a fraud, but I remember he did say that on the third day, he's coming back. So they took every precaution possible to stop this. They go to Pilate. Pilate, we need for you to like do whatever you can do to make this secure. So they do three things. They roll a stone. They roll a large stone to cover the tomb. Not only that, they put a seal on the stone. And through my studies, this, is, this seal is very important. The seal was a sign of authentication that the tomb was occupied and the power and the authority of Rome stood behind that seal. 
Anyone found breaking the Roman seal would suffer the punishment of an unpleasant death. They did a third thing. They sent guards. Now, there is a little bit of debate amongst, this, amongst scholars and a bunch about which guards were sent there. Because the scripture isn't really clear. Was it the Roman guards or was it the Jewish guards? But if you look at verse 65 and 66, it kind of alludes to the Roman guards. It says, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. We would assume that that would be the Roman guards. Go make it secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The Roman guards... I want to give you just a little bit of history. I know how much you guys love history. You guys know how much I love history. If I bore you with it every Sunday, I apologize. But I got to give you a little bit of history about the Roman guards. The Roman guard was a 16-man unit that was governed by very strict rules. I don't know if you guys realize this about Rome. Rome had to have very strict rules for them to keep their reign in their places. Rome's a little place. They ruled a large area. But the guards, while they were on duty, they were not allowed to sit down or lean against anything while they were on duty. And what they would do is they would take these 16-man unit and they would make each man responsible for six square feet. So if you could just imagine like four by four by four by four, and they're in charge of six square feet. That's also, if you guys don't know this, that's where we get social distancing from today. I mean, just to let you guys know, it comes from the time of the Romans. But the guards, they couldn't sit down. They could not lean. If a guard member fell asleep, he was beaten and burned with his own clothes. But not only that, his entire unit would be executed. The entire 16-man unit would be executed if they failed at their duty. They made all of these precautions. The religious people came to them and said, we need to take all of these precautions because we can't have this guy come back. And they thought, well, he won't really come back. They believed the disciples would steal the body. So you can understand that this was a serious problem for the disciples on that evening. When word gets out that Jesus is no longer there, how do you think the disciples feel? Who do you think they're going to be looking for? Think they're looking for like the local bakers? Are they just going to go talk to random people? They're going to come after his closest group of friends. This is why scripture says the door was locked when Jesus came. Because the disciples were living in fear. They were, they were, they, they were terrified. They knew if, if the body's missing, they're going to come looking for the body, and they're going to come looking for possibly those who might have done something. And this is the scenario we get that evening. And this is why they were afraid. Because they knew what was, who was probably looking for them. The religious leaders and possibly Rome coming after them. So it says that they were locked in the house. And Jesus, knowing all the fear, all the chaos they were feeling, comes in and says these words, Peace be with you. 
I can see the look on the disciples' face when they hear the words for the first time. Jesus, I don't know if you realize what's going on here. They might have killed you and you might have come back, but what about us? What about, what about us? Because they're, they're going to be looking for us. They're going to be coming after us. So Jesus has to say it again. He says, peace be with you. Jesus knew their fear. He knew what they were feeling and thinking. And Jesus wanted to remind them, I am here. Everything I taught you, everything I told you about what I would do has taken place. I have conquered the grave. I am here. Peace be with you because I am in your presence. In verse 21, After Jesus had showed him his hands and his side. Let's read verse 21. It says this. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. See, the resurrection event is extremely vital to the Christian faith. If you've ever looked looked into this, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul spends an entire chapter arguing and reminding us the importance of the resurrection. Guys, if there was no resurrection, it was all in vain. Like literally, Jesus really was just, he was just a good moral teacher. He was just a good guy. Um, If there's no resurrection, it was kind of all for nothing. The resurrection is the main like, I don't even know how to like, say it within words. Let's look at what, at what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read a few verses out of 1 Corinthians for us to understand the significance of this event. Verse 3. He says, For I delivered you as of first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, as Paul wrote this letter, though some have fallen asleep. And then jump down to verses 14 through 17. Everything hinges on this one event. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. Verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, whom he did not raise, if it is is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He makes this argument that, listen, like, this resurrection is so vital because if it doesn't happen, we're still dead in our sins. There's no forgiveness of our sins if Christ has not been raised. But Christ has been raised. He has conquered death. He has forgiven the sins of the world. 
But on the night Jesus was resurrected, he reminds his disciples that the mission of God is not complete, that it's not over. And I find this to be so fascinating that here Jesus is, he's, he is raised from the dead, he's standing amongst his 12 disciples, and he puts them right on mission. Says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then look at verse 22. It's a very peculiar moment here. It says, when he said, the, said these things, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. As he said these things, it says, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. There's some debate among scholars, which I know you guys care greatly. Um, was this the time the disciples received the Holy Spirit? Or was it not until the book of Acts? So if you know anything about like church and reading the Gospels and into the book of Acts, the book of Acts is when the Holy Spirit comes down and they start speaking in multiple tongues and different languages. And, and some people have kind of wondered, did they receive the Holy Spirit right now? Or was it not until later? But it's very interesting because there are some similarities between what takes place here and what takes place in the book of Acts. In both places, Jesus commissioned his disciples to a task. Here, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Meaning like, he still has a task for you to accomplish. Both places, Jesus is telling them that he was sending them. In both places, the Holy Spirit is at work. But in this case, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've ever read the book of Genesis, when I read this, and every time I read this, I always think about what took place at creation. This is interesting. Then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, look at the account of creation. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus was doing the same work again, but there's so many similarities of going on here. Was that in Genesis chapter 2, as God formed man, he was lifeless, he was dead. And, and, it, and they didn't, man didn't come alive until the breath of God was breathed into him. And I would argue that outside of Christ, until Christ breathes his Holy Spirit into creation, that we're dead, according to scriptures. That we're dead in our sins. We don't have forgiveness. And Jesus here breathes life into them for them to accomplish a task. Jesus says, as I was sent, I'm going to send you. Receive my Holy Spirit because we need the Holy Spirit for the work that is in front of us. Now, I've ha actually had somebody recently kind of, kind of ask me this question. How do you know if you have received the Holy Spirit? Have you ever like, thought about that? Maybe you grew up in church and maybe had this thought. Like, like how do we know the Holy Spirit 
is within us, right? Because like, you know, we don't have any like physical signs today. We can't like show people, you know, some sort of like tattoo or something like, oh, the spirit is in me, see, like right here. So how do we as believers know that we have the Holy Spirit? Scripture teaches time and time again that there is a way to salvation. And what I mean by that word salvation, there is a way for mankind to be made right with God. As you read it, you see what kind of takes place. Jesus speaks about it. The book of Acts speaks about it. They talk about this idea of repentance of our sins, that, that, that mankind needs to recognize that, that they are fallen, that mankind needs to recognize that they need someone to save them, that they have this sin in their life, that they have this brokenness, and they need someone to save them. This is where repentance comes in. And when people believe in Jesus and trust him as their Lord and Savior, and those two words are quite literally tied together throughout almost exclusively the New Testament, this idea of Lord, this idea of that Jesus is truly the king, that that Jesus is truly in charge of this world. And we recognize him as the king, but we also recognize him as a savior. We recognize that this Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins, and he was nailed to a cross, but then he was raised again. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When men and women come to faith in Christ, and I want to just kind of challenge you with that. Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you have just kind of wondered, am I really saved? How, do I, how can I possibly know if I am saved? Do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe in this good news that Jesus came to save you? If you believe it, Scripture teaches that when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to be a seal for us. And on this resurrection morning, I share this with you because we see that this is Jesus' call to his disciples. He says, listen, I want to send you out into the world. Father sent me, I want to send you. And this Holy Spirit that's going to live within you, that's going to be within you, if you look throughout the Gospel of John and throughout other writings, Jesus says the Spirit is going to lead you. He's going to guide you. But there's a reason why we need the Spirit working. And there's a reason why Jesus is sending his disciples into the world. Because Jesus knows the world around them desperately need forgiveness. They desperately need a Savior. And this is why God sent Jesus, to be a Savior, to save us from our sins. And look at this last line in in verse 20, 23. It's a very peculiar line here. He says this. 
He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. When you first read this, it's a little bit, it's a very awkward, awkward line. It was even awkward when you look at the Greek. And they've been trying to translate this. The literal translation is, those whose sins you forgive have already been forgiven, and those whose sins you do not forgive have not been forgiven. So who forgives man's sins? Here it almost kind of seems like, well, if almost kind of seems like man does. But we know that that is clearly not true within Scripture. That only Jesus can forgive sins. But our job here is that we simply announce the forgiveness of sins. This is the essence of salvation. And all who proclaim the gospel are in fact forgiving or not forgiving sins depending on whether the hearer accepts or rejects it. See, our job is to come and to announce it. As a believer, if you are a follower of Christ this morning, your job, your calling, your mission is to just simply announce to the world the forgiveness of sins. And if they accept it, they're forgiven. If they reject it, they are rejecting Christ and they are rejecting his forgiveness. But Jesus came for this sole purpose, to come and save the world. And even on resurrection evening, Jesus reminds his disciples, this is what I'm calling you to do. I'm sending you out. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And church, on this Resurrection Sunday, as we celebrate and we lift up how amazing and how great Christ is and how he has conquered death, the challenge for us is to bring this message to the world around us. The challenge is, is that the work is not over yet. It's not complete. He accomplished everything on the cross and his death and resurrection so mankind can be made right with God But the church, his disciples, his people are called to be sent, are called to go out and bring the message. Now, as I've worked with people throughout all of the years, you might be sitting there, Pastor, I've heard this message, I know this message. It's just, I get nervous sometimes, Pastor. I don't always know what to say. I don't always know what to do. How do I possibly tell somebody about Christ? What if they reject me? What if, what if they just don't want to hear it? And we can spend so much time living in the what if instead of just walking in obedience and saying, God, you've called me to share this hope. I have no idea how people will hear it. I have no idea how they will receive it. That's on them. But Lord, you call me. You are sending me out into the world. And the mission of the gospel just got started on that, on that evening. And we carry it forward today, church. Our job, our mission, as we celebrate Christ, we need to be reminded that our call is to bring this gospel message forward. It can be weird. I get it. It can be difficult. We don't always know what to say. But as we rely on the Holy Spirit, who, who, who if you believe in him, resides within you, you rely on him and say, Lord, lead me. Lord, I I don't always have 
the right words, but Lord, I'm willing to bring this message forward so that men and women can hear the hope that's found in Christ. That they can hear about a Savior that came and died a gruesome death for them. But that our Savior did not stay on the cross. He did not stay in the grave. That he conquered death. And we who believe in him, we have no fear of death. Because we're going to be with our Savior. He, he has promises that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And the world that we're living in, I can't think of a, of a better season right now. All the chaos over this last year, all the fear that is taking place within people's hearts and minds, they have a Savior that can save them, that can give them peace, that can give them joy, that can restore them, that can make them right with their Creator. And as a church, it is our job, it is our mission to stay on this task to be bringing this gospel message to Marquette County. You guys probably already know this. 95% of people in this county don't even attend a church. No, I'm not saying you got to show up here to, to find salvation. The church is the people, and we're called to bring this gospel message out there. But guys, the world that we're living in, they're dying. They're in desperate need of a Savior, just like how we are. And we got to bring this message to them that our king is not dead, he is alive. I want to pray for us this morning and I'm going to invite the worship team back up to, to lead us into one last song. Please, please stand and, and, and let's pray this morning that we will go forth with this message of Christ. Let us pray. Father, Jesus, I thank you that you have conquered death. Jesus, that you're not stuck in a grave, but Lord, you are the king that lives forever. Father, help us as your church, those who claim to be disciples. Lord, help us to be your disciple and go forth and bring the message of the gospel forward. Father, we praise you for this morning. Lord, we celebrate our risen king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.